there are still firms. I know of one and I won't name the firm, but the idea is when you get into the advisory program in your first 12 months, you have to bring in $11 million, you know, and if you don't, you're out. And, and guess who keeps the money? If yeah. You don't bring I, in the $11 million. To anybody listening that's new getting in the business or wants to get in the business, run away from those programs. They are not. Welcome to the Money Alchemist podcast. I'm your host, Ben Jones and Brent Gargano. Brent Gargano. And we're glad to be here with you today. Uh, We've got somewhat of an interesting topic. Uh, Brent and I have decided to, since this is really only the third episode, uh, we, we thought it would be worthwhile to give the listener a little bit of color as to who we are. Can we go back to the first episode once we figure out how to actually do this? Well, the first episode is already out there. Man. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's already it's already posted. So, uh, listener, be warned. I wouldn't I wouldn't really listen to that one. We are going to redo that one because I, there's a subject matter expert I want to bring in to talk about uh, artificial intelligence. So, uh, I had my wife listen to it before we published it, and she's like, it sounds like you guys don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> And I'm like, well, you know, we really don't know how large language models work. I am work, a but financial planner, yeah. not an AI expert. <laughs> I certainly am intrigued by, you know, what it seemingly could do in the impact of, of our business. Yeah. And that's really, I think, what we talked about is not necessarily the mechanics behind how large language models work, but what their potential implications can be on the economy. And I think we did successfully tackle that subject. So despite and, and what my, my wife, uh, her, her concerns were, but. And I think that really plays into what we want to discuss today, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, um, what we really wanted to spend some time thinking through or, or just talking about is the various pathways, share a little bit about the way that you, Ben, got into the industry, the way that I got into the industry, uh, just shed some light on the differences in some of those experiences and then maybe just make some observations about the world today, you know, over a decade later. And if, you know, you're a young aspiring advisor or, you know, maybe even somebody who wants to shift into a second career type, you know, career changer, you know, what might be different today and ha- how that works. And, and so anyway, I think that's a good segue to that. So, ha- you know, what, what do you, um, you know, what do you think? Yeah, I would like to talk about how each of us got into the business um, and how what what brought us into it in the first place and how uh, someone who's younger today, uh, you know, out of school, if they're really interested in finance and uh, working with people uh, to manage their wealth, yeah, what viable pathways exist today for them to break into the business because it's changed a lot. Technology has really changed uh, what's um, what's possible. And it's also closed a lot of avenues that were previously available. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie with Will Smith, um, Pursuit of Happiness, where he is. Uh, isn't he a uh, stockbroker? Yeah, he's a stockbroker. I forget. Dean Witter. Yeah, Dean Witter. Thank you. Uh, and he just, you know, the, these old school brokers would hire anyone 
uh, that had the ability to talk on the phone. Of course, you had to pass your Series 7. The boiler room, so yeah. to speak. And they would just give you a phone, a phone number, or I mean, a phone and a phone book. And it was really up to you just to dial and smile and opening an account. This is before know your customer rules. Um, so to open an account would just be a name and an address, essentially. And someone could open an account with a, with a broker like Dean Witter and buy X amount of shares of whatever company. And that broker would get a commission on that trade. So this is this is how things were done. And this really wasn't that long ago mm-hmm. in I mean, in 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 time. Yeah. So it really accelerated quite a bit in, in the late 80s, early 90s. But that's not how you and I got into the business. Now, my my entry into the business through American Express Financial Advisors was somewhat like that. It was still living off of the you, uh, the fumes of the old system. Were you selling credit cards? No, no credit <laughs> cards. So, so, so let me ask you. So, so t- tell me, you know, and and I may have heard this heard this story before, but talk a little bit about how you know you got into the business. Were you did you get into the business right out of school, or what was? Yes. Okay. So I. I got a degree in business administration, which is essentially the degree uh, people in college get when they are clueless in what they want to do <laughs> afterwards. Uh, so it was, it's a very unfocused degree, um, just kind of generally uh, prepares you to enter the business world, whatever that is. Uh, so when I graduated, I moved back home and I applied. This was in 2006, not to date me, but, you know, it's. Um, what is that now? 17 years ago, something like that. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I applied to all the local companies, you know, uh, Procter & Gamble, General Electric, uh, Kroger. Uh, all of them said the same thing. Come back to us with some experience. I remember I had an interview with General Electric. It was for a human resources position. And I forget the lady's name that was interviewing me. She's a very sweet lady. She says, well, what makes you want to be in human resources? And my response was, because you're hiring, <laughs> which was the wrong response. <laughs> uh, that that obviously did not demonstrate any passion for the potential uh, job. It's like saying it seems like an easy job. <laughs> well, it's, 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 I basically was saying it's a job and I need a job. Yeah. Um, you know, I love my mom and dad, uh, but they did not want me in their house. Uh, they wanted me to get out. Um, so they essentially said, well, you have until the end of the summer and you're on your own. And so I was scrambling for a position and I had a, a, a high school friend that I knew that was doing very well at American express. So, uh, I just thought, well, I'm going to go apply to this American express position. And it was American express financial advisors, uh, be a financial advisor. And I thought, oh, I could do that. I go to this interview. Um, that was scheduled and there's 26 other people there. It was a group interview and <laughs> this guy gets up there. Uh, Make you feel really special. Yeah. Uh, this guy gets up there and says, this is essentially a, a commission job. He kind of writes these. Uh, he, he actually did this um, demonstration of how the, how the career works uh, using this uh, wheel. He says, you know, this spoke is your natural market. This spoke or lunch and learns. This spoke is, cold calls, 
you know, you got to get all these folks working for you in order to get the clients. It, he basically he painted a miserable picture uh, and said, you're going to be working Monday through Saturday, you know, the uh, Monday through Thursday, it's nine to nine uh, Fridays. You're working from nine to six and Saturdays from nine to noon. The only time you can get out of work is if you have appointments. And I left that group interviews thinking, well, what else am I going to do? So I just did it. I, I said, OK, well, I'm going to sign up. And then I actually was interviewed because there's a second wave of interviews. It wasn't just like the, the 26 people and then they would just accept whoever off the street. There was a vetting process. So uh, then I went and interviewed with um, my colleague, the friend from high school that was working for him. And he gave me the job, said, no problem. You know, you show up tomorrow, essentially. So they get you went through a uh, I forget what they called it. Um, it was like a three month uh, probationary period. They, they, they had a name for it. But during the th- first three months, you had to get your Ohio Life and Health, your Series 66, your Series 7. And you had you had to have a million dollars in assets under management and you had to have 10 financial plans sold. Not a small under, under for a, a 22 year old mm-hmm. with zero experience as yes. a financial planner. By the grace of God. And because I had so many good friends and family, I was able to make the cut. Um, so less than 10% of those 26 people that were in the interview were there and made the cut. Um, but the, the misery didn't stop there. So once you got that, that, that those three months under your belt, you know, it was grueling. It was 60, 65 hours a week. Uh, they gave you, uh, leads you had to cold call. Um, it was about 300 phone calls a night you had to make, um, 300 mm-hmm. a night? Uh, well, a day, because there was two sections of calling. So you called during the day around lunchtime, and then you also called at night. And that's if you didn't have appointments. So this is 15. I mean, I'm, I didn't, I don't have a calculator, mm-hmm. but 15 calls an hour, 10 to 15 calls an hour. Well, most of the calls weren't, that's weren't a, answered. That's, you know, you, you right, get, that's in a 24 hour day is my point. So yeah. if you work for a third of the day, I mean, the point is you're making... 30 to 50 dials mm-hmm. in a work hour. Yeah. You better hope they don't pick up. <laughs> no, they, well, most of them don't. If they, if they did pick up, you would be dialing a lot less, but that was a, I tell you, that was an experience. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. But you weren't expected just to cold call people. You also had to go out and drive to local restaurants and meet restaurant owners and convince the restaurant owner to put a fishbowl, a literal fishbowl, in their lobby that people could drop business cards into because you put it a sign on there. It said, when a free lunch, of course, free, free is a four letter word that starts with F, right? Yeah. <laughs> so little did the people know that if you dropped your business card in there, you automatically won a free lunch, quote unquote, <laughs> everybody so won the free lunch. Call you. Yeah. So I would go and harvest, uh, uh, I would harvest these fish bowls. So I was able to wiggle in the, a couple local restaurants. And I've got some stories about that. Let me tell you, I'm not going to belabor you today, but, um, uh, yeah, you would pick out the, you would harvest those bowls. You get those business cards. You'd tell the people you'd email them and call them and say, you've won a free lunch, bring, you know, 10 of your colleagues to the lunch. You know, the only cost of the lunch 
is that I get to pitch you at the beginning. So you would have five to 10 minutes to talk to this person and all his poor coworkers <laughs> that he roped into this uh, charade. Uh, the, 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 the virtues of working with me as a financial advisor, it was, uh, you're privileged to hear what I had to say and how lucky you were. So here in, in, in what, so these guys, you yeah. know, which I don't know, what was the, you know, did you, if you did some of these things, you know, what's the age of these folks are these people in their 40, 30, all 40s, over, 50s? all over. So, so you have a table of professionals mm-hmm. essentially that's sitting there and in walks a t- fresh 22, 23 year old try to cut their teeth as a, as a financial planner saying, give me all your money. You're welcome for the free lunch. And, and that, and I take it that may have worked to some extent for some people it did. I got a total of one client. Okay. So it didn't really process. work. Okay. So I it didn't, the thing I learned the most from American express financial advisors is how not to market, you know, th- <laughs> this entire uh, program it's was exactly based what they on, be known for. <laughs> yeah, th- this entire process was based in, uh, on things, lessons learned from the 1990s. Uh, I found the whole cold calling process to be utterly miserable and inefficient. The lunch and learns while they worked for certain people that were very outgoing and they had a, uh, you know, I don't want to insult used car salesmen, but used car salesmen have a tendency to be bubbly and outgoing and very conversational. And, uh, that's not me. I'm, I'm a little too analytical for that. So, uh, it just didn't work well. But what did really work well is uh, leaning on people that I knew or was acquaint, acquainted with uh, through uh, natural, what they call your natural market. Uh, this could be, you know, members of a community that you're in or uh, friends of a family, uh, you know, uh, your, your um, alumni groups for a, a local university. So, you know, it really anything, any natural market that you have where there is already a, an established trust. And then you work with the individuals in that natural market and you really add massive amounts of value for them. And then they're going to refer you. That's what worked for me. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting off point. We're talking about our career trajectory. So that's how I started it was with American Express Financial Advisors, very traditional, um, well, not traditional, but old school marketing style of dial and smile and long hours, um, very sales, salesy, very transactional. I did not like that. So ultimately, I left American Express to go to a position where I thought, well, you know, rather than hunting for these clients, let me go where the money is and the money's at banks and uh, National City Bank, which is a bank out of Cleveland, uh, was hiring uh, financial consultants for their branches. So I thought, well, uh, there we go. I'm going to go there. And that's where I went. Uh, And I got hired there. Um, And then I can. Uh, detail that later. I want to give you the opportunity to talk about how you got into the business because your experience, I think, is a lot different than mine. Well, there's there's two takeaways that I have from what you just talked through. the The first one is that what's worked last decade doesn't always necessarily work for the next decade. Mm-hmm. You know, and you think about the tenure that you and I have had. We're now, you know past our first decade. So, you know, 
that's not going to stop. Um, and I think that's, that is, you know, something to be mindful of. How do you, how do you stay relevant in, in a world that's, that's changing and not getting too stuck on what has worked in the past? And the secondly, what you also want to do is you don't want to do something for the sake of getting business. You know, to me, what's really changed in this decade is that we're so connected over things like social media. People want to feel like they're connecting to a human. They want authenticity. They don't want you showing up at a lunch because your company told you this is how you get leads. They want you showing up in an organization or a, a group that serves a purpose in your life that's more meaningful and deeper than being a financial advisor. And you let the financial advisor really be the secondary focus, you know, because you're really there to plug into your, you know, passions and, and what you, you know, care about as a, as a person, as an individual. And then the, if, if you do that in an authentic way, you know, the conversations will come up and, and what have you. And, and it's, and it's right. So I think that to me, you know, things, things are going to work differently in the future than they have in the past. And, you know, purpose matters. If you're doing the the right things for the wrong reasons, they're probably the wrong things. Mm-hmm. So anyway, to, I guess juxtaposition that with my upbringing. So I have a, a very different background. Um, Coming into college, I had a science background. I was part of a program in in high school that that led to essentially a whole charade of science fairs my senior year. Uh, We ended up actually winning the local university science fair. And so I went to that school, University of Cincinnati, and um, ended up with with going in as a biology major. You know, if you if you, you know, you're winning these science fairs, you assume I should be doing science. So I, you know, went through freshman year, sophomore year, a lot of these weed out classes, you know, general biology, general chemistry. And I was working on the side. I had a job. I was actually parking cars. So it was a, it was a great college job. Got to drive all sorts of fun cars, worked with my buddies. It was, it was, it was a great time, but I had this, this money that I was saving up on the side from, from the tips that I was making. And I've always been a saver. Um, I, I joke that it, I've always been a personal financial planner. It just took a long time for me to realize it. So I started, took some of the money and I started investing it. Uh, I think it was at the time, actually like a USAA account was, I think what it was. It eventually became a Fidelity account. Um, anyway, so I started investing and I was a sophomore, you know, midway back half a sophomore year. And I'm sitting in, I still remember sitting in my inorganic chemistry class not paying a lot of attention to the, to what the teacher was saying and researching stocks. And, and it kind of hit me in that moment. Like I'm, I'm sitting in class and I'm thinking about something productive, but it's not the class. Yeah. And that was a, a, a realization for me. So I went to the guidance counselor and I said, what does it take to, to get a business degree? And their answer was, I mean, basically the way that it worked out was I was going to have to do another two years of, of college. And so I, I, I didn't like that. It seemed like I wasn't going to be working and gaining real world experience for a couple additional years. And I was going to have to pay tuition to do that. And so I was, you know, like a lot of people that are 
in their back half of college, quote, ready to get out and work. You know, funny how that perspective changes a couple of years later. But in any case, um, ended up staying, ended up switching my degree to chemistry uh, simply because I thought it was more, more analytical. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, I had a knack for numbers. I, I, I'm a math, I'm a, I have a math brain and, um, and so chemistry, I, I like chemistry. I didn't dislike it, you know, and graduated in four years with a chemistry degree. And, and, and immediately I knew I want to go into finance, but what, how do I do that? So I, here in, in our region, we have a fidelity call center you know, so you can go, what's great about these call centers at, at Fidelity is you have all sorts, I mean, so many different jobs there from back office jobs, you know, people processing paperwork to frontline service jobs, resetting passwords to, you know, full blown, you know, ultra high net worth wealth management phone based jobs. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and, and everywhere in between that. So a lot of jobs, a lot of opportunity. And the greatest thing to me about getting started at Fidelity was, as opposed to what you got, which was, Hey, here's, you know, how you need to make out all these outreach. Fidelity basically says you're going to have, you know, between 20 and 50 people calling you every day, please pick up the phone and, you know, have a good conversation with them. Right. So the name of the game really isn't uh, go find people. The, The name of the game is to connect well and be thoughtful and, you know, um, in my mind, the way I kind of looked at it is I needed to be smarter than whoever was calling me, uh, whoever their current advisor was or whoever they were working with. I needed to be able to find some areas of opportunity and, you know, not only connect with the person on the phone call, understand their need and, and broaden the conversation, but then be able to pinpoint you know, a, a, an area that's, that's lacking and really get the person yeah. thinking. So to me, what was great about that was I, I took the angle of how do I deepen my expertise over the first seven years? Yep. So I joined the financial planning association. They, they happened to ha- need somebody to take over their young person. How, how did you discover that? I, my, Great question. So when I got out of college, one of the most influential things, and I should have mentioned this before, one of the best things that happened to me was I moved in with a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved in with a guy who moved in with a mutual friend. His name's Andrew Lippert. He's a couple of years older than, than I am. And at the time he was already a certified financial planner and he's also very, very interested in this stuff. So, you know, from the get-go of starting at Fidelity, I had a mentor that had a head around planning, was very, you know, active and engaged. And one of his friends was actually already in the group. So we went to a, a meeting with the Financial Planning Association together. And what was going on was that the guy that ran the group needed, uh, he, he was moving. And so he needed, needed people, folks to take it over. And my buddy and I lived together. We liked this stuff. So we became, you know, we kind of co co ran it for uh, a period of, of time. And that was, that was really neat. Eventually he stepped away because he started taking, he became a CFA. Mm -hmm. If you know anything about the CFA exam, you know, good luck running a social organization while you're, while you're studying (laughs) that. Um, so that, that was a good opportunity, you know, that organization, what that really allowed for me in my career was to 
get exposure to exactly what we're talking about here. Here's my pathway. I'm at Fidelity. I would then go to a conference with, you know, 50 other young people. Some of them worked at banks, some worked at insurance companies, some worked at independent RIA, some of them worked at the fidelities of the world. And, and so you got to see all these different perspectives and get exposure and understand what's out there. So at the same time, I got my CFP. I did the coursework in 2014, passed the exam, you know, and and that essentially laid the foundation, like the knowledge foundation. For me, I've always been a little ADD and awkward and don't know what to say. So the best thing that Fidelity was able to do for me is like I had to pick up, you know, I didn't I'm, I'm talkative. So, you know, I, I took less than the average number of calls per day than, than, a, than a given rep. But let's say I picked up 20 phone calls in a day. Mm-hmm. For me, the best, you know, aside from just the knowledge, it was the ability to, you know, talk to different people and catch up really quickly and just, you know, yeah. actually get along with people. So to me, there are, you know, there are good and bad things about fidelity that we can get into when it comes down to what you, you know, the best way to go about things. But what I thought was really valuable was I didn't have to sell out a bunch of my college friends and cold call anybody and Uh blah, blah. I, I, the things that I learned along the way, I had ample opportunity to sit there and basically practice. And I developed and honed my communication skills that was really necessary for some of the next steps that was taking. So Mm -hmm. it was a really, I mean, looking back, I, I'm really, I feel very fortunate to have, you know, kind of, I don't want to say stumbled into, but it's similar to your story. How, how did it happen? It was a friend. I had Mm -hmm. a friend that worked there and, and I feel fortunate to have stumbled where I did um, because admittedly, Ben, I don't know that I could have put a fishbowl in a restaurant and taken business cards and showed up there, you know, as, as you'd be surprised what you can do when your mom's about to kick you out of the house. <laughs> well, maybe that's fair, but you know, I, I guess I'll say that, you know, that, that definitely, I mean, the level of, of kind of hustle that it takes is, is, is tough. Well, one thing as you're talking that I caused me to think about is just, it's interesting how, our, our um, entry into the business has probably colored our perception of the value we bring. Um, it took me a long time to understand that what we do is, is actually a very valuable thing uh, for our clients. I would approach my, my value proposition almost, almost apologetically. Like, well, you know, since you, you know, uh, don't know how to do this through a discount broker, or maybe you don't know about a discount broker yet, uh, or all these other, you know, DIY solutions, you know, I'm sorry, here I am to to actually uh, do these things for you. And I look at the services I provided very transactionally, and it took me a long time to realize that. No, we're not just doing the, the, the commoditized services for clients, the trading, the asset allocation. Heck, anybody can do that. Um, what we're doing is we're saving the clients valuable time. We're also uh, double and triple checking their work. You know, prior to this uh, podcast, we were talking about how we can better work together with tax planners um, to discover 
uh, not just tax savings, but correct tax issues. You know, you were mentioning how, you know, one of the big things that we do is unwinding incorrect uh, form 8606 forms, which accountants don't really do. You know, that's kind of what we do. And you're not going to get that with a, you know, with a discount and, and um, service. And we don't mean to beat up on the accountants. We, we also mentioned that part of the reason that this mm-hmm. is, is messed up is because the timing, when you, there are tax forms that are generated by some of the things that you do. You would like to believe that these tax forms all are generated prior to yeah. tax time for you to hand to your CPA and say, here's what I did. It goes in my tax return. But turns out some tax forms don't come out until later on in the year. Mm-hmm. And unprompted, you need to know to tell your CPA to do that or the CPA needs to know to ask and about few it. few people know that. And that's right. why Absolutely. that's one of many areas a dedicated financial advisor adds value, but I didn't the glue and be the quarter. I know what's going on with the IRAs. I know what needs to be brought up. I know what tax forms not going to show up. So how do we, but I did not appreciate that because I was dialing 300 dials a day, bothering people. And that colored my perception of the value I bring. Whereas you being at fidelity, people were calling you because they value, I mean, they would wait in queue to talk to you. And you probably, not that you became arrogant because of that, but that had to uh, demonstrate to you that, hey, this, what I do is valuable to people so much so that they go out of the way to talk to me. What's, what's interesting is, you know, you get anything and everything that comes mm-hmm. to you. So when somebody calls in, you know, they may have a stated need that's fairly point blank. They're mm-hmm. calling an 800 number. They're not expecting to have consultative experience necessarily. Yes. Yeah. They're calling in with some level of stated need, mm-hmm. you know, something going on. Maybe they really understand it. Maybe they don't know what they don't know, you know, range of spectrums. And your your job was to understand the stated need, catch up to what they already knew about it, open up the conversation to, to understand more about the circumstances so that you could then enhance whatever the state of need was and find a way to deepen the relationship with fidelity because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. their business and they want these people as clients. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, it was it where it would be tough is where, you know, you'd have somebody call you that their ex- expectation was, look, man, I just want to do X, Y, Z, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and to your point, I didn't ever want to feel like a bother. So frankly, if you were there and you said, look, I don't want to talk about X, Y, Z, you know, whatever. Um, I would say, Hey, here's what I do. Here's what I'm here to do. If you, if you have a time, you know, it'd be great to do it. And you, you know, you, there are other calls that you can take. You don't have to feel like you've got to pester somebody. So, yeah, you know, and I, and I, don't like to pester people either. I, I, I don't think anybody likes to pester people or be pestered know, in all fairness. People, some people. <laughs> I don't we, know anybody we, that to say they li- like to do it, even if they seemingly from the other person's perspective do. For sure. So, you know, now I, I don't want to say that uh, what I did back then was not valuable. It, it absolutely was. Cause I, I, I mean, I've enhanced my knowledge. I've enhanced the services I offer quite a bit from when I first started. But generally what I did is 
the same. So why do you but, think this has changed like like it has? Why do because I don't think that's just you. I think mm-hmm. to our previous point, you came out in 2006. Mm-hmm. You know what didn't exist in 2006 that came out right as I was starting? Robo advisors. Correct. Right. And you said something earlier, you said, you know, asset allocation is a commodity, mm-hmm. you know, robo advisors. When I got out, it was, you know, hey, are robo advisors going to get rid of advisors. No. But what it did was it forced advisors to really get serious about what the heck it is we do to provide value outside of rebalancing your portfolio mm-hmm. because a computer can do that. Mm-hmm. So looking forward back to our AI conversation, you know, now we've got this AI in the picture. The thing that's really great in some ways is it is going to push, you know, advise the advisory profession. In my opinion, it's going to push the advisory profession to do better, to show why we are, you know, better than going to Google Bard and typing in a question. Well, one thing's true. We don't hallucinate advice. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us don't. At least. Well, yeah. some advisors, man, but uh yeah, that that is interesting, and that and I think that's a good segue into uh, the next phase of this conversation, which is, you know, for new advisors coming into the business, what what are some in your mind? What are some pathways uh, to success? The way I got into the business, I don't think you can do it anymore. Uh, so I went through the the last remnants of the old school, you know. Throw them against knocking. the wall, see who sticks method method that brokers use like Dean Witter. Uh, Merrill Lynch got their name that way. American Express was that way. Um, you know, there, there are a few remnants. I think Edward Jones still has their advisors knocking on doors, but I don't think it's done as a I think it's done as like a. Fr- we're your friendly neighbor, you know, here's where I am. There kind of thing. are, I, there are still for, I can tell you from knowledge, yeah. there are still firms. I know of one and I won't name the firm, but the idea is when you get into the advisory program in your first 12 months, you have to bring in $11 million, you know, and if you don't, you're out and, and guess who keeps the money. If yeah. you don't bring I, in the $11 million. To, to anybody listening that's new getting in the business or wants to get in the business, Run away from those programs. They are not built with your interest in mind. Yeah, you know, you got to take somebody who has no experience, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't necessarily have a good handle on what does it actually mean to be a wealth manager. He's going to have to learn these things on the job. And then you've got to have them go out and in 12 months convince, you know, folks with, with, to, to move over $11 million. You you mm-hmm. know, that's, that's, that's easier said than done. Let's, let's say that. So, you, you know, it's, it's one thing to convince somebody to buy a car from you or, you know, uh, buy, you know, X, Y, Z, name a point in time sale, but to convince somebody that it makes sense in their best interest, you are there for their best interest and they should move their entire life savings under your control, not just today, but for years to come, just, you know, that's, that, that is a tall order. That's a tall order. Yeah. And it's nearly impossible to do that as a brand new advisor right at, right out of college. So, you know, the way I came into the business, I would not advise. Um, it's, it's, it was grueling, depressing at times. Um, there was even a point in my career that I tried to get out. I tried to get out of the business and, you know, ultimately I, 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 I'm too stubborn. So I hung on and you know, now, now I'm super glad I did, but I don't advise that, 
uh, newcomers go go my path. I but I think that the path that you took is still viable. Um, another path that I see as a viable solution are in existing wealth management companies uh, looking for new blood, so to speak, uh, to help them bring their practice into the new world, you know, with large language models. So just being familiar with all the different types of technology that's out there, uh, which most young people are in tune uh, with these things, at least more so than uh, the, you know, more, the, the, the average advisor, I think is what, uh, 55, 60? Yeah. I mean, so, it, that, so that's where I was going to go, which is that if you look at not just the age of the average advisor, mm-hmm. but the age of the average client, you know, I mean, there's so many statistics that we have read about, you know, baby boomers and, you know, basically what's next. There, there, there's this pig in a python, you know, uh, concept of, you know, as baby boomers have gotten older, the economy has followed, mm-hmm. you know. So in the in the 70s and 80s, you know, it was it was things that were related to growing families and things like that. Well, you know, now it's medicine and all these things that folks need as they get older. So the point I'm making there is that there is there are a lot of folks that either currently own businesses or getting ready to retire, you know, want to retire soon or just recently retired. And then there's a lot of advisors that also fit that bill. So there's ample demand for new advisors. Yes. The 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 problem isn't, you know, creating brand new books. In my opinion right now, it's servicing the folks that are going to demand financial advice. Exactly. So if I'm 20 something looking to break into the business, what I'm looking for are established independent advisors, preferably those that are seasoned, uh, you know, with maybe they're looking at retiring in 10, 15 years, but they need to bring in a junior advisor, someone that someone they're willing to train up and um, t- and show them the ropes and introduce them to clients, introduce them to the process, uh, and then eventually use them as a potential succession plan. That is the pathway to success. Now, I also think joining good companies like Fidelity, uh, that path, your, the path that you took is still available. And in some ways, it is a path that grants you um, a broader selection of choice. For example, like if you work at Fidelity in the call center, may, maybe you decide, you know what, I, I think I'm going to be, more, I'm going to go the more portfolio, but the portfolio manager route, and you want to go and get your CFA uh, designation, and uh, you know, or maybe you want to become a, you know, a, a a wholesaler, or maybe you just want to go into management. Um, so there, there's all sorts of different pathways that you could take uh, starting in a, in a company as big and broad as Fidelity. So that that is a better choice in some ways for someone who's very uncertain. But if you are very certain that I want to be a financial advisor, I want to be an asset manager, I really think the best um, the best thing for you to do is to join a small or not so small uh, investment advisor firm as a as a junior or a pair planner. Yeah. So what kind of skills, you know, if you're somebody in college, maybe you're a rising senior right now, or maybe you're, 
you know, uh, just looking to, uh, to, to, to figure out what the next step is. I mean, what skills would you focus on developing so that as you transition into that role, you know, you can, you can be successful. So communication skills, period. You know, there's other skills, but that's the most important because your effectiveness as a financial advisor uh, relies entirely on your ability to clearly communicate and uh, distill complex concepts to individuals. Uh, and not only that, you want to be able to communicate with your staff um, and your and your superiors. So communication skills, I think, are paramount. Um, you also need to have a mind for analysis because um, <laughs> there, there, I've been doing this for 16 years. There are still concepts that confound me and confuse me and tie me, tie my brain into knots. And I have to sit down for 20, 30 minutes and try to unwind them. And, you know, I don't have the sharpest analytical mind, but it, but it is better than average, I would say. Um, so you need to have an, a, a mind for analytics. So if numbers make your mind freeze up, <laughs> you do not want to be in this career. Uh, so communication skills uh, are, are important, but they can only get you so far. Uh, you need to have a combination, in my opinion, of uh, good communication skills, but also uh, an analytical mind. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for it kind of depends on what firm you're at, too, because, True. you know, what we also know being in the industry is there are a lot of I don't want to say small because small is a relative term, but, you know, a hundred million dollar you know, RIAs or in, as investment advisory firms in the, in the country, and they all have different makeups and different objectives and things they do well and, and not so well. So to, to me, you know, one of the other things just thinking about a young, being a young person and, and, you know, maybe trying to manage a transition is something you mentioned before is your ability to, you know, use technology and, and what have you. But, you know, these owners, they want their, they, they ultimately, I mean, you want your clients to be well taken care of and you want to know that the, the system's not falling apart. So the other, you know, recognize that as a, as a young person, you know, while you might not have direct experience with financial planning, you know, lot, your, your ability to still have logic and reason and, and, and process improvement is, is, is fairly, you know, intact. So I think it's important to, to think outside of the box, you know, and be able to problem solve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So to tie this all up in a bow, uh, the one thing I want to leave our, our listeners with is especially those who are young and, you know, going into new careers or maybe th this is your first or second or third or fourth year of college and you're uncertain what you want to do. Um, you know, this is a phenomenal uh, career route to take. I am incredibly grateful that my um, my career path has led me down the down the road that I'm that I'm on. Um, it is a very rewarding career. Could be potentially lucrative, but you, you know you you basically can be financially rewarded for how hard you work uh, because it's very geared toward entrepreneurs. You know, unlike some careers, like you, you went into chemistry, tried to become a self employed chemist. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, that was, and that was part of what I realized. I mean, I yeah. have opinions and thoughts and beliefs and it's hard to, it's hard to, it's uh, not impossible. 
you know, yeah. you you could somehow come up with some sort of compound like WD-40 and then market that yourself, you know, so it's possible to do it, but, but it's not very common. Uh, yeah. you're, you're probably working for a firm like Lyndell Bissell or something or like doing that. research. But and, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, so, you know, if you really want to be a business owner and you, you want a good pathway, that's really low barrier to entry for opening and operating your own business. Being a financial advisor certainly is at the top of the list. In my opinion, it's, it, it is a, uh, difficult career, but rewarding career. And, I, I encourage folks who have an entrepreneurial spirit, who enjoy money. Um, well, who doesn't enjoy money? You, the, the, the topic of managing money. Minded. Money, money um, minded. And, uh, you know, and like working with people, I, I encourage them to, per, to really look into it and pursue it. So with that said, Brent, do you have anything else to add? Um, I guess the only thing that I, that I thought is, you know, we talk a lot about college Mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and students that are trying to transition. I, I think there is, you know, maybe a whole nother discussion, but there's a lot of value to be said for there. There, there are a number of people these days that are taking on second careers as advisors, you know, maybe they were engineers or um, mm-hmm. corporate finance people or attorneys and, and, and folks are, you know, basically realizing that you don't have to be you know, a, a salesperson in a suit to be an advisor. If you have have competence and you understand money concepts and you like planning and you can, you know, maybe you have uh, some kind of niche, um, it, it it can be a rewarding career. And um, so, I and I think that there, I think we are going to continue to see more of that because, again, back to what I said at the beginning, I think people these days are looking less for, Hey, have you been doing this for 40 years, you know, et cetera, and more, can I trust you? Are you authentic? You know, are, are, are you true to who you are? And, and, and so anyway, with that said, uh, I, that is my final comment and I appreciate, uh, appreciate the time, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a good conversation. We'll revisit it later. I do, I do have, uh, an idea for another episode, and that is the different kinds of firms that are out there. Because we just we were very generic today, and oh, our recommendation for who to pursue uh, if you're looking for a career in this business. But there are so many different types of financial services firms, and not all of them are equal. So we'll have a follow up episode where we detail the differences between you know things like a broker dealer, registered investment advisor. Um, you know, captive versus independent, so forth and so on. So thanks for joining us and we look forward to catching you next time. Securities offered through LPL Financial member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through National Wealth Management Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial, LLC. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. This information is not intended as authoritative guidance or tax or legal advice. You should consult with your attorney or tax advisor for guidance on your specific situation. Brent Gargano is not affiliated with LPO Financial.